Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This week, it's all about you. You've been getting in touch on email, WhatsApp, and by leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. And this week, I'll be listening to your amazing paranormal experiences and answering some of your burning questions. Our listener, Claire, opens this episode with her experiences in the spooky hospital that she used to work in. Hi Yvette, uh, my name is Claire and I would love to tell you about a place I used to work in Bedfordshire. It's an old community hospital that's now used by the NHS still but for other services, including one of the old wards being used for training of staff. Now, I was training coordinator and I admit when I first went to the building, it didn't really unnerve me. Of course, it looked a little bit spooky because it still looks as it did when it was built in the early 1900s. Um, but I soon learned that it was a ward for children. Um, it was also a ward for the elderly over the years. And it actually hadn't shut that long before becoming a training unit. In fact, when I worked for the ambulance service, I used to take patients in and out of the ward opposite, which was now a storeroom. So I'd seen it in use. Now, I would say um, it kind of unnerved me a little bit when I was there on my own um, because of my vivid imagination. But I would say after about six months, things started really happening. And we would hear at night time, we would close one end of the building down and we would hear doors banging closed even though every single door had been closed for fire reasons um, we would hear them just slam again um, on occasion I would hear groans myself and a colleague heard a groan from the other end of the building um, when I say building it was literally two wards with a middle section where the nurses sat so it wasn't huge so things could be heard really easily another night I had been round closed all the doors and then myself and my colleague said we'll just do one last check as we walked through one of the wards we got to the bathroom area and the bathroom tap was on full blast a lever had been turned on full blast needless to say we turned that off and hurried out very quickly other times we could smell which well smell the only way I could describe it is like decaying animals um, we would send maintenance underneath to the air bricks to have a look and there was nothing there so this smell just appeared out of nowhere um, other times um, we've had colleagues in the daytime sit in the office um, so you could look out across to the other ward because it was like a square where all the buildings made a square and um, people had seen a, a matron in the old uniform walk out and just disappear so that was another sighting. Uh, honestly, this building was incredible, incredible. Uh, one of the best sounds we heard one night, though, was when myself and my manager stayed one night and we could hear the sound of squeaking wheels, like a bed being moved, a stretcher, a wheelchair. Needless to say, we left that report and left very quick. <laughs> um, arriving to work, though, arriving to work, especially in the winter, I would not dare look in the windows. I had to walk past the windows to go up the, the ramp to get in the front door. I even looked down as I was putting the key code in and just put my hand in the door to switch the light on because I was just fearful that someone would be looking back at me. But the place was amazing. I mean, it's still got the small morgue on site 
Um, as I say, it's still used for training purposes now. Um, but, you know, needless to say, a lot went on there. So it's not surprising we experienced what we did. I unfortunately didn't see the matron. However, when my husband and I walked around there one day, we um, went past the empty building and something banged on the window really loud as if to say, you shouldn't be here. So, yes, very spooky indeed. But I thought I'd share my story and I hope you enjoyed it. Well, Claire, thank you so much uh, for getting in touch with us. How brave were you to go and spend time in that hospital? I know you had to because you were working, but on your own at night. Oh, oh, I think you're incredibly brave for doing that. The fact that there's so much stuff going on there. I know you say you didn't see the ghost of the matron dressed in old-fashioned clothes, but the fact that others have seen her. Um, and I can say that I've shared this experience of the squeaky wheels. And it was when we were investigating, and I have investigated many haunted hospitals and old people's homes. I suppose the first hospital that I want to talk about really is Denby in Wales. We did a live show there and it was over a few days, I think. We did a live show every single night. And on one particular evening, uh, I asked the main presenter who was sort of doing the studio links, Paul Ross, if he would be very brave and if he would come uh, to the mortuary which most hospitals and abandoned hospitals still have, and they're incredibly creepy places. Uh, and particularly the walk to the mortuary as well. Oh, so creepy. You go down these sort of long corridors and the sort of ramps and you go go down one bit, then you turn a corner and you go down another bit and you get darker and darker. It's really quite horrible. Anyway, we actually had in this hospital, the um, in the mortuary, you know when you see them on films, the sort of cupboards and they open up and you slide a drawer, a, a sort of bed out of a drawer. Well, that's what we asked Paul Ross to go into. And he did it and he experienced some really strange things uh, in that particular place. Uh, and I was very inquisitive at this. So I thought, well, I'll give it a go. So I actually lay down and was locked in a cupboard that we all go at some point. You know, our bodies all go there, don't we, when we die? And um, I did experience lying down. I uh, It was like fingers tapping on the metal bed that I was lying on inside the cupboard. And of course, it was very, very claustrophobic. Couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was so, so dark. And I think if my memory serves me right, I heard whispering as well. Why is there the connotations with uh, hospitals and old people's homes when they've sort of been left and everybody's moved out? This absolute terror and fear. And, and I think it's because there's so much energy. And we talked about this with theatres and schools and places where normally they're filled and rammed with people and they're making lots of noise. And it's the same thing with hospitals, prisons as well. You know, day-to-day -day noise, people going from A to B, um, you know, patients need to be seen too. Um, and also there's a lot of suffering, a lot of pain there as well. And a lot of memory. And that energy is all still there, hanging around that particular building. So, when you're asked to go and uh, investigate a haunted hospital or a, a haunted old people's home, you know, they're, they're abandoned, they're, they're starting to fall down. They are some of the most creepiest, most frightening places to go and investigate. Um, another place, uh, I talk about old people's homes, it was a place called Standon Hall. and uh, You can actually watch uh, that episode. Uh, I think there's three episodes in total of Standon Hall uh, on Most Haunted, and you can, you can see that um, on the telly. And we had some extraordinary and frightening phenomena in there. But one of the most... As a poignant parts was we were walking through, you know, sort of the these sort of larger rooms where some of the uh, people would have stayed, and we found a wardrobe, and there were still some clothes in there. And at the bottom of the wardrobe was a little vanity case, and inside it we opened it up, and there were all these black and white photographs of obviously this person, whoever it was, and it was all their family, their life, and it made you really sad because you just thought gosh, that's what it all comes down to, you know, all your memories in this small case. What happened to that person? And their clothes were still there. You know, they might have moved on to another place, uh, you know, or perhaps they, they they died. But anyway, the the activity was was extraordinary. And, and 
Claire, we touched on the fact that you heard these squeaking wheels. And I mentioned at the beginning of me talking, and that's what I experienced at Standon Hall, these squeaking wheels, and they turned out to be a wheelchair and it was moving all on its own. In fact, we witnessed it twice. And I think Glenn, our skeptic, saw a wheelchair come from seemingly nowhere and smash into a wall. Cupboard doors and doors were opening and slamming shut on their own. Uh, I think Carl had a knife thrown at him in the kitchen. Um, old pictures were being sort of uh, thrown around. I saw as well a full apparition and I was with Glenn and the two of us had a camera and I was looking down a corridor and I saw this very tall man. I think he he was bald headed and he popped his head around from a column and sort of popped back. But I saw him and he was very, very solid looking. Well, as you can imagine, I freaked out. Um, and, and I think then later on, I think we were in another, another uh, part of the building again, where there's sort of separate, uh, larger rooms where people would have stayed. And there was an old budgie cage and that was thrown across the floor as well. It really was full of activity. And like I say, if anybody asks me, would I go and investigate a hospital? I do so. Look forward to it because I know we'll get some fantastic uh, paranormal activity, but I also am frightened to death. We love hearing from you on email, WhatsApp and on Apple Podcasts. Helen got in touch on email to ask, Hi Yvette, after listening to the episode on white witches, I decided to try the spell to banish someone from my life. My question is, how long do I need to leave the piece of paper in the freezer for? Many thanks. Helen. Well, in case you missed that particular episode, we were talking about, as uh, Helen's just reminded me, of white witchcraft. And one of the spells was, you know, do you want to banish somebody? And we actually used it. And all you do is you write down a piece of paper, fold it up, put it in a plastic bag and put it in the back of your freezer and forget about it. Now, how long do you leave it there, asked Helen? Well, as far as I know, you keep it in there until that person has gone. That's all I know. Or there is another spell you can use to remove a person from your life. Uh, It's called the shoe spell, which I thought was quite amusing. Um, So there are only two things that you need. Well, three actually, including a shoe. You're going to need some brown paper and some tape. What you need to do is write on the brown piece of paper seven times your wish to have that person out of your life. Next, put the sign of the pentacle on the north, south, east and west of the paper. Uh, so yeah, just put the put the initials on each side of the uh, pentagon. Then fold up the paper and wrap it in plastic so it will not get wet. And then you put the paper in your left shoe. <laughs> makes me laugh this. And chant out loud what you wish three times. You must shout this chant and stomp your foot with the paper in it at the same time. Leave that paper in your shoe all day while you're out and about, but you must do this on the full moon and it must be done seven days in a row, okay? So I think we're just coming out of the full moon, um, so you'll have to wait till next month and then do it then. I mean, let's hope nobody watches you whilst you do this, Helen, if you want to do this one. Uh, But if I were you, I'd just keep the paper in the back of the fridge, freezer. Sam got in touch on email to ask a question about a shadowy figure. Hi Yvette, I have a neurological condition that causes hallucinations, sight, smell, hearing and touch. I see and feel some terrifying things. The main ones are spiders, which don't bother me apart from when the floor and walls are covered in them. You poor thing, being touched, water running down my body, bugs walking on me, rope around me, being on fire, knives stuck in me or even cutting my legs off and feeling my leg hanging by a tiny piece of flesh, being hit with a sledgehammer, which my body actually reacts to by jolting. I also see people, including what I call the guy, which is a man that is covered in shadow. This can be just walking about, standing, watching me, peeking around corners, running at me, and even appearing beside me or touching and hitting me. How do you know if something is actually happening or is a hallucination? I don't know if I could ever know if I was seeing a ghost, but would love to go on a ghost hunt, especially the most haunted experience, if it ever came to the north of Scotland, uh, to somewhere wheelchair 
accessible. Well, Sam, all I can say is, wow, gosh, that must be a very, very hard thing to cope with. I suffer from night terrors. Um, I'm really bad and often wake up absolutely petrified because I think either a spider's on my bed or um, you know, something's coming out of the walls or, and I put that down to, I, I don't know, my years, 20 years of investigating the paranormal. I think my brain is always ticking over. When do you know if a spirit is present? Well, there are a, a, a few signs, but I suppose talking from my own experience, I'd say that the first thing is temperature drop. And if you have an EMF meter, and there are loads of them on the market now, if you have the EMF meter by you and there's no electrical wires around you, no logical explanation why it might suddenly emit high levels, that could be when a spirit could be close to you. You know, I've often felt it's just a feeling that my dad is with me or my grandmother is, is with me. Sometimes you can hear a whisper or, or a touch, but that's going to be very difficult with your condition. So I would say get an EMF meter and go from there. Actually rely on something like that because I think you relying on your own emotions might be very, very difficult with that condition that, that you do have. Please keep in touch and let me know how you get on. I'd love to know. And hopefully we will be coming to the north of Scotland and I'll be able to meet you in person. Have you ever realised you were dreaming? Well, Vicky got in touch after listening to the episode on lucid dreams and wanted to share her story. Hi, Yvette. I listened to your podcast around lucid dreams and I just wanted to share my story with your listeners. Last year, in November last year, my dad passed away from COVID and um, when he died, I was at his bedside luckily enough and told him to come and visit me and was desperate for him to come and visit me. And then a few weeks ago, I had a dream where I was traveling down a motorway with my mum in the car and two of my children. And I knew that there was a crash up ahead on the motorway. I don't know why I knew that, I just knew. And all the cars started slowing down and I knew that all the cars were getting turned around and we had to go the wrong way down the motorway because the crash was really bad. So um, I turned around and I was driving the wrong way down the motorway and the next thing I was in a marquee and I knew that this was where people had to go and wait and I was waiting with my mom and my two children in this marquee and as I was waiting my other son walks past um, the bench to come and speak to me and my dad was behind him and he walked directly behind me and I could feel his presence I could feel him leaning on my back and he put his arm on my shoulder and told me that everything was gonna be okay. And I was aware that it was a dream, I knew it was a dream, but nobody else in the dream could see him. So my mum couldn't see him, my children couldn't see him. And when I woke up, I could still feel the pressure on my back and his hand on my arm when I woke up. And I don't know whether that is classed as a lucid dream or if that is classed as a family member coming to visit you in the dream. I just know, absolutely know, that that was my dad coming to tell me that he was okay and everything was going to be okay. Thanks. I just wanted to share that with you. Thanks. Bye. Well, to me, Vicky, this is a classic visit from a loved one. In my experience, you really do know when you've been visited by a loved one. And the fact that you could still feel his presence when you woke up, to me, means that he was still with you. I can't express enough to you how our loved ones are still with us. They can see us and they can hear us. 
And recently, we've been helping a few people who've lost loved ones and they needed some closure. And the messages that were coming through, um, you know, the knocking phenomena, um, these loved ones wanted to get in touch, and they were tapping out messages for their loved ones. And they were saying things like, and I've, I've told you this before, but tapping out letters to make sentences like, please don't cry. I'm always with you. And another one that they say, which is actually what Vicky uh, heard from her dad, was, uh, was everything will be okay. And they really do. I can tell you this. Every spirit that comes through and they, they want to communicate with a loved one that's that's been left behind, they always want us to be happy. And they want us to continue on with our lives as fully as we can. When they see us cry, it makes them sad. And nine times out of 10, they always ask and they always say rather, please don't be sad. I'm happy. And they definitely don't want to come back. So to me, Vicky, that was definitely um, a a classic visitation uh, from your loved one. And uh, how lucky and wonderful is that? Staying on the theme of lucid dreams, Mark got in touch on email to say, Hi guys, I've just listened to your podcast on lucid dreaming and it resonated with me and the experiences I've had and felt compelled to share. I've always had a connection with spirit that I've never really explored. I've had experiences in the past that I've never really explored further. However, I'd really like to share my most recent dreams. So to put it into context, I'm a fairly leveled headed guy. I've been a police officer for 10 years and in 2020, I was off work with a breakdown and PTSD. During this time, I was able to slow down and spend a lot of time meditating. I believe this strengthened my connection with spirit. While I was off work, my father, now since passed in May 2021, he got diagnosed with cancer. Around this time, I found myself in a vivid dream with my late grandparents telling me his prognosis and also to be strong. I recall having thoughts on my dream. I must tell Nan that dad is poorly and also almost realising I was talking to dead people. Eventually, dad died in the following May and two days after I find myself again in another very vivid dream. I was somewhere with trees and meadows and my dad was standing just off to the left of me. He was wearing the most wonderful tailored suit, an almost silvery grey. And again, I recall me thinking, wow, dad, that suit fits you really well. He looked at me and said, it's not that bad, you know. When it's your time to go, you've just got to go. That in itself was amazing, but the following day I told my brother, and guess what dad's last living words to him were? Exactly what he'd said to me in my dream. Anyway, thought I'd share. Regards, Mark. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. Uh, How wonderful. Again, to me, that is a visitation. The fact that you are meditating as well, and I always say this, the more you meditate, the more you open up uh, to the other side. And your dad and loved ones, uh, they, they find it a lot easier um, to come and talk to you. I was told that by my my own father. He actually told me off because he's, you're not meditating enough. <laughs> um, and he's finding it, you know, he finds it hard to, to, to come through. He's using a lot more energy. So I know that I have to really meditate a lot more and then he will find it easier. I suppose that sort of veil between our world and, and theirs perhaps is is thinned because of the amount of energy we're putting in by meditating. Who knows? Uh, but obviously something like that is working with you, Mark. Uh, and hopefully you'll get more communication uh, with your dad. How wonderful. And if you do get more communication, please let us know. Push Your Peak is a brand new podcast brought to you by What Bike. Join me, Louise Minchin, and some of the world's most incredible sports people to learn what it takes mentally and physically to push yourself beyond your limits. Whether you're an elite or everyday athlete, it can be hard to continually progress. How do you push yourself out of your comfort zone? Where do you go to find that inner drive? Tune in to hear these inspiring stories and take away the belief that you can achieve your own goals no matter how big or small you can find us wherever you got this podcast just search push your peak 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. I love hearing from our listeners and their own first-hand stories, so let's jump back in with a question from Chris, who got in touch on email. Hi, Yvette. I'm a massive fan of the podcast. Been watching you on Most Haunted from the very beginning. I've always been into ghostly things as I grew up in a graveyard in Brighton. I hope you had a house and you didn't just live in the graveyard. No, seriously, I did. My dad was cemetery manager in Brighton and we lived in a cottage on the ground, thank goodness, surrounded by the dead. Actually, not far from Preston Manor. My garden was literally a cemetery. That did make it difficult explaining it to dates as I got older. I bet it did. So my main story is so odd, I don't even know what category to put it in. I've seen orbs and stuff and my mum saw her brother's ghost at her doorstep once, but this takes the biscuit. So this was back in 2008 when I was about 22. On a Saturday morning, my mum and dad would go shopping and normally I would wake up and help them with the shopping. This weekend, I woke up as normal when my phone rings. It says dad on the caller ID. So I think, oh, maybe it's a question about something I've asked for shopping. Not unusual. I answer to a very upset dad. He can barely talk. Chris, it's your mum. My heart sinks. What's wrong? I say. All I hear is sobs. Dad, what's happening? Nothing. Phone goes dead. I ran downstairs, got my car keys and thought of going to Asda and finding them as he didn't answer a return call. I go upstairs to get dressed just as they pull up. I won't bore you with the conversation, but they had no idea what I was on about and were fine. My dad is a very old-fashioned person and has never played a joke on anyone in his life. I checked his phone and he definitely didn't call me, but I had a call log from him, three question marks. Please help figure this out, guys. Was it my dad on the phone? Well, I've heard of this phenomenon, Chris, and it can be incredibly frightening. Uh, It sounds to me like uh, it was some sort of spirit a mischievous one, perhaps messing about. I take it that you've had nothing since. It would have been incredibly scary, something that well, you obviously haven't forgotten for a very long time. It, it's very strange because um, we did have some guests on Most Haunted Experience and they remember telling us a story about how their phone would ring, their mum's number would come up, but this was a year after she died and they would answer. Can you imagine answering that? And you get a crackling noise on the end and hearing in the distance a voice that sounds like your mum saying hello. Uh, That was incredible. I had, talking about ringing phones, I did have the most amazing experience on a Most Haunted Live. We, well, we had the privilege and honour to investigate the War Churchill's War Rooms in London. And if you've never been, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, you have to go. It's incredible. Uh, if you're not from uh, the UK and, you, you know, you're listening from another country, and I know that there are plenty of you that are, if you ever visit the UK, you've got to go. It's 
unbelievable. You can do a tour um, and uh, I want to go back and start doing ghost hunts there because it's just the most amazing place. Um, but I remember we were doing a live show from there. Now, I was fortunate enough to actually be in the little office that Churchill w- was in during World War Two, And he had sort of separate phones and they were different colours. And I suppose red was for, you know, the most urgent. And I think there was a white phone or, or whatever. I can't remember. But I remember... They weren't connected to anything and it was extraordinary because I asked for the phones to ring and I would ask for the phones to ring. If you're here, can you make the phone ring? And then I'd start talking about something else and then the phone would ring. We'd pick it up and it was just static on the other end, nothing. I remember asking again, can you make the phone ring? If that's you, can you make the phone ring? And it rang. And I think it did it about three or four times. And I remember being uh, squealing with excitement because I was so excited that these phones were going off. And we spoke to the curators. This couldn't happen. It wasn't possible to happen. Why was it happening? So I really believe, and going back to you, Chris, that the spirits um, have a, a way of messing with our electric fields, electricity fields, magnetic fields, whatever. They have a way of manipulating them. And, you know, you go back to um, Graham Alexander Bell and Watson and, uh, you know, all, all these amazing inventors that we talked about before on the podcast and how they were inventing these incre- crazy machines that were sort of based on the telephone to talk to the dead. So, yes, I think it was a spirit, Chris. I think that it was a bit of a naughty one that was messing with you but i'm glad you haven't had anything strange happen since by the way if you do let me know michaela also got in touch on email about an investigation she recently took part in at the old officers mess in aldershot hi vet i thought i'd tell you a bit about our investigation last weekend and then about an experience i had as a child in connection with a past life experience I'm a new member of two investigation groups down here in West Sussex, the Paranation Team and the SPS, which stands for Sussex Paranormal Society. Nice big shout out there to two paranormal groups. Often get They often get together to do bigger investigations. Last Saturday, we went to the Old Officers' Mess in Aldershot. Now, can I just say, Michaela, that this is really important to me because my granddad, who was in the Cheshire Regiment, was stationed uh, at Aldershot and so was my grandmother and my whole family. So the fact that you did an investigation there is absolutely fascinating to me and maybe I should go myself. Um, Even though my grandfather wasn't an officer, he was a sergeant, so he probably wouldn't have been able to go into the old officer's mess. Uh, Who knows? Maybe I should ask him next time he comes through. Anyway, our group, SPS, split off to do our own investigating around the building. The activity we got seemed quite subtle at the time, but looking back, I suppose we had quite a bit. We had doors opening by themselves, quite a few orbs flying about, activity on the REM pod and responses to the torch equipment. We did a version of the Esther method of sense deprivation, but not using the spirit box for it. My colleagues seemed to be in touch with an angry military officer named Alan, who we came into contact with later. When I did the experiment, I got lots of visions of World War II people, 1940s cooks in a kitchen and a series of tunnels going underground accessed by a vertical metal ladder. As we ventured down to the cellar, a story came to light of a priest who had reportedly got a young girl pregnant and then killed her by throwing her down the cellar steps. Apparently, it was a reason why none of the current employees of the building ever want to go down there. No wonder why. I was hoping that he would come through on my EVP device, but sadly, he didn't. However, someone was pulling the ponytail of our young guide. So who knows? Maybe he still had a taste for young ladies. Shiver. At the end of our investigation, we had some great results with our torch experiment, the REM pod, the REM pod, and photos of orbs sitting next to a particular member of the group. We all felt a strong presence and some people reported feeling very angry. Maybe we came into contact with Alan again. It all culminated with one of uh, the group being scratched on the neck, which was quite a shock for everyone, especially the poor lady who was attacked. I know it's a horrible thing, isn't it? Fortunately, that heralded the end of the investigation and two 
soon it was time to pack up and drive home. All in all, it was a great investigation and I'd be happy to go back there uh, again one day. So it's interesting that that you talk about um, the Esther method. A lot of people will already know that I'm not uh, myself and Glenn Hunt, who's uh, our sceptic uh, investigator on Most Haunted. You know, we don't like to use the spirit boxes because, you know, you are picking up on random uh, radio waves. It, you know, it's pareidolia. You're making something perhaps fit into uh, something that you hope will make sense, perhaps with a spirit that you've got in touch with what's your name you know the word alan comes out of the of the radio and for me i've I've used them a few times and i'm not convinced so with this esther method it's quite interesting and apparently the esther method came from uh, a group of american paranormal investigators who were investigating the 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 stanley hotel in colorado which i actually investigated Um, we did a a, an episode of, of most haunted on there i think i talked about my uh experience in that particular hotel, which was absolutely horrendous and very, very frightening. But anyway, back to this Esther method. It's quite interesting because what you're basically doing is, and it's a good idea to do this, where you actually have one person with the spirit box uh, in one room and uh, another person uh, in another room. You both can't hear each other. You are asking the person, you're asking the spirit that you're in communication with to give a name through the spirit box. Um, information. When did you die? Were you murdered? Uh, how old are you? And so on. And the person with the spirit box can't hear the questions. And so what's coming out of the spirit box are presumably random words. They write them all down and hopefully they'll tally up with the questions that were given uh, uh, from the other person in the other room. There have been some good accounts uh, where things have tallied up. And to me, that, that that is fascinating and very interesting. But it's still, to me, it's still not, not good enough. Sometimes it's a good idea in an investigation to do a controlled experiment when you're in contact with a spirit, especially if you're filming or going live on social media, uh, which a lot of ghost groups do now. But as I and my team have learned, and this is a big thing for everybody listening, no matter how good your experiment, controlled experiment or footages. You can time sync up your your cameras so that they're time controlled. You can do everything you can to prove that everything you're doing is correct. It's not faked. It's real. And you always have someone ready to debunk your findings. And it can be absolutely soul destroying. But what you mustn't do is be deterred. You've got to keep going. And it's a wonderful feeling when you and your team know, you know, that you've captured real proof. Michaela also wanted to get in touch about a past life experience she had as a child after listening to our episode on reincarnation and past lives. She says, I grew up in Halifax, West Yorkshire. My family still all live there and my dad actually now lives very close to Shibden Hall, the scene of my experience. It was a day in 1977 and I was seven years old. I was very excited to be going on a day out with my Auntie Pauline and Uncle Errol the next day. I'm not sure if I knew I was going to Shibden Hall or not, but I'd never been before, which is an important part of the story. That night, I had a very vivid dream about being a servant in the kitchens of a large stately home. It was extremely real and I can still picture myself working there, washing pots and helping to cook. It was so real that I woke up and told my mum and Nana all about it. My auntie and uncle came to collect me and we drove to the park where the stately home was situated. I remember running ahead in excitement as my auntie tried to call me back. I was shouting, this is the place from my dream. As I ran ahead, I became more and more excited and ran straight in through the gigantic oak doorway, rushing ahead to get to the kitchens, which had felt so familiar to me the night before. I was disappointed to find a large wooden panel where I had expected to find the door to the kitchen and I felt all down the wall to see if I could find evidence of it, but to no avail. Feeling a rising sense of desperation, I ran to find someone who worked at the house and came hurtling into the curator of the house. Where's the kitchen gone? I blurted out to the surprised lady. It used to be there to the left, but it's gone. Where's the door? To say she looked surprised is an enormous understatement. I remember her stuttering, the kitchen? Well, well, yes, it used to be there, but we blocked off the doorway because it wasn't safe for visitors. But how could you have known that? Even the staff here don't know that. It was done years ago. 
I used to work here when I was a servant, I exclaimed. The poor woman looked totally bemused to see a little seven-year-old girl demanding to see that kitchen where she worked as a servant. So when my auntie and uncle caught up, I proceeded to explain to them all about my dream. My uncle was not convinced it was anything unusual, but I think my auntie and the curator were definitely rattled. The only explanation I can think of is that maybe I did work there as a servant in a past life. It's certainly very fascinating. What do you think? Take care and hope to speak to you soon. Michaela, P.S. Your podcast is brilliant. Well, thank you, Michaela. Well, I definitely think you went back to a place you worked as as a servant. I mean, have you ever thought of being regressed? This is something that I really want to do because I have had a few strange dreams myself. It's really peculiar, isn't it? Because you know... When you're having a dream, most dreams are just sort of a bit bizarre, aren't they? One minute, you you know, you're in a circus having fun with a clown and the next minute your mother walks in and then you're naked and then you're on a plane and it's all very disjointed and very strange and weird and famous people often pop up. I had a couple of dreams where I was aware that I was in very old-fashioned scruffy clothing. Um, I sort of put it at uh, sort of the 1700s, really, and I was lying on my front um, in some bushes and next to me was lo- were, were lots of other men and we were looking out it was in the in the middle of the night we were looking out onto the back of a garden and this garden was very well kept it was had beautiful topiary bushes exotic trees everything was was gorgeous and it was sort of laid out in topiary bushes in squares and like a fountain in the middle so whoever lived in this house in the back of the house was very palatial it was very very nice Anyway, I remember all of us, these men, all creeping into the back garden and we had guns with us. And the next thing we knew, somebody came out and they were dressed in a, in a you know, untucked white shirt. Obviously, it was in the middle of the night. We disturbed somebody. Perhaps the butler came out and he came out, shouted, and then they let off a flare, a big white flare, which, which lit up the whole of this back garden. Well, I remember being panicked and we all made a run for it and we all split up. And I was running, running, running through the bushes and then woke up. Now, I had that dream twice. And the weird thing is, but I can't remember the name of the house, because if you can imagine, in the heyday of Most Haunted, we were visiting literally two of these locations every single week for years. And I can't remember uh, what the location was. Um But I visited this location. We did an investigation there. I remember sitting on the wall looking down at this garden and going, this is the garden. This is where I had my dream. So I believe that in a past life, yes, I was a burglar. Staying on reincarnation, Daniel got in touch from Nottingham to share his own experience with reincarnation. Hi Yvette, my name's Dan and I would like to tell you my own experience with reincarnation. Um, As far back as I can remember, um, I as a child always used to talk about the fact that the life that I currently have wasn't my first life. And I used to tell everybody that, you know, the family, I used to tell my mum and dad, you know, I had another mum and dad before you two. And they always used to ask me about what I was talking about. And I always used to talk about this life that I had in Spain. Now, when I used to talk about this, I was about four, five years old. And at that point, I'd never even been to Spain. I probably knew what Spain was. Um, And I think the first time I ever went to Spain, mainland Spain, was when I was about 13 years old. So I I didn't really have any idea what Spain was like. But I always used to talk about this life that I had in Spain. I always used to talk about the fact that I lived in a very, very big house and it was a life that ended with fire. And I always used to talk about the fact that there was this fire, I couldn't get out the house, and then I woke up where I was. I don't know whether, you know, because the trauma of possibly being killed in a fire in a previous life, I don't know, but that is something that, obviously stuck with me now the things that I used to say I I used to talk about what the house was like and even now as an adult if I think back I can envision that house I can envision that it was this 
big um, big Spanish villa overlooking a town. I can't remember if it was near the coast. I couldn't remember seeing the coast, but I remember overlooking this town. And I remember it having these terracotta uh, tiles and these beige whitewashed walls, sort of probably what you're used to seeing when you go over to Spain. I remember there being a very, very long driveway with vineyards and trees. And I can remember two figures. And I assume that these two figures were whoever I was in this previous life's parents. One of them was a man with big shoulder pads, like big 1980s, I suppose, like blazer leisure suit shoulder pads with white, like a white jacket. And then the other one was a lady who was very, very thin, very tall, very, very beautiful, long black hair. I remember it being busy. So I don't know whether this was a place that had lots of social gatherings. I remember it being, I always used to tell the story about it, how it was always very big and there were always people around. So in my head, perhaps there was this, this party atmosphere that I seem to have this feeling when I used to tell this story and used to tell people about my life before this, I said that there was parties. And I believe that there may have been a party on the night that this whatever happened and I know it was at night time when this fire happened because I can remember when I tell this story and when I when I think back and when I try to remember what I used to think back when I used to tell people this how dark it was and there was a lot of lights and there were like street lights and a lot of noise now I cannot remember for the life of me what happened after that but yeah you know, I would speak to my mum and my mum would always say to me, can you remember talking about Spain when you were a child? And I was like, well, yes, I can. Yeah, I, I could. And the more I read into it and the more like I, I looked into it, it, it really did seem to be more and more of an idea that there was there was something more there. But um, that's basically my story. That that's that's what I remember. Um, and like I say, I can still remember it to this day. I would love to sort of see a hypnotist and see if he could like regress me back further. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's my story, and make what you will of it. Thank you, Daniel, for for sending in that story. Um, again, I totally believe that this was a past life. Sounds to me like it was a, a, a traumatic um, ending to a life. Perhaps you were killed in that fire in that in that house in Spain. The fact that you saw your parents uh, that you thought were your parents in that dream uh, was was fantastic. I mean, I'm actually jealous. The fact that you saw uh, people that you describe as your parents that you had in another life. Sometimes you can look at um, your parents in a dream who you believe to be, you know, a, a reincarnation a dream, as it were, and you can look into their eyes and you recognise that person from your current life. So I wonder if you ever have that dream again and you see your parents again, see if you can look into their eyes and see if you recognise them. They could be a friend. They could be a brother. They could be your mother today. Uh, who knows? Um, I, I Like I say, I really believe that this was one of your past lives. I really believe that we've had many, many, many lives that span hundreds of years. And I believe that in, in each life, uh, that we live, we are here to learn a specific lesson. Um, and I think when you've learned that lesson, and only when you've learned that lesson, do you go on to the other side, where you then uh, spend time thinking about what you've learned, um, and then choosing whether you want to come back again and live another life, or not, you might want to stay uh, where you are. Um Regression. I would absolutely love to be regressed, as I've just touched on there. Uh, and I think, Daniel, you know, you, you mention it. You mention about perhaps that you should uh, have regression therapy. And I think that you should do it and record it and send it to us. Let us know how it goes. And if you found somebody good, let me know, because I really want to go ahead and do that sort of thing. I'd love to know about my life as a burglar. Was I very bad? 
thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and a huge thank you to all of you for getting in touch. Uh, We couldn't read out all the emails because we'd be here for hours and hours and hours, but keep them coming in. We love to hear your feedbacks, questions, stories, and episode suggestions. Please do keep uh, in touch with us. It's so great to hear the stories. We'll be back again next week. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. We want to hear from you, so send in a question or an audio clip telling us your paranormal story. And this is the address. It's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voice note on our WhatsApp and the number is 075-999-27537. It's 075-999-27537. We also have an Instagram and Facebook page where you can follow us and the address is at Paranormal Activity Pod. Thank you so much for listening and remember, things aren't always as they seem. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.